Welcome to Rebel Without Applause, where we explore the intersection of sports, entertainment, and culture. I'm your host, Maurice Bob, and today we have a very special guest on the line. He is a renowned actor from Maryland, best known for his role as Duquan Dookie Wings on David Simon's seminal HBO series, The Wire, and now he's diving into the singing career. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome for Jermaine Crawford. Yo, yo. What's up, man? How's it going? All right. How you uh how you holding up in this uh pandemic? Holding up pretty good, man. I'm actually in Miami right now. Um I'm finishing up writing on a project with um, I guess my, my writing partner for a feature film. And uh we're just here finishing up the last pieces of writing the script. It's it's moving it's moving um pretty quick because of uh I guess the subject matter that deals that it deals with, um, we're seeing a lot of it in the news. So people are kind of just wanting this thing to turn around. So right now I'm in Miami relaxing and just writing and being creative. So it's pretty cool. All right, cool. Uh, um, yeah, I guess Miami is a good place to relax. It is. <laughs> the weather it is, <laughs> the weather's it pretty is. conducive for that. Oh, for um, sure. Uh, what's the what's the um, environment like down there? Are they uh, taking COVID seriously? Or? Yeah, well, actually, I just left um, a set uh, for a music video for a friend, just kind of you know popping in. And in order to get on the set and see uh, talent, you have to take a COVID test. And then I'm helping my friend do something at the EMAs, the European Music Awards tomorrow. But we're taping it here in Miami, and I had to get a COVID test this morning. So th today I've already had two COVID tests double negative but um one went up the nose and one was a prickly finger so i'm just kind of like annoyed a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i bet you uh you prefer the prickly finger one than the, than the nose the nose ch check is really intense it's very intense yeah it's very i haven't had to take one yet but i'm i'm uh i'm uh, not looking forward to either one brace yourself they're like all in your thoughts with that little swab <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, you know, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, one of the uh, questions I like to start things off with is, um, obviously this show is called Rebel Without Applause. So, you know, I like to kind of dive <clears> in <throat> with what's been your most rebellious moment, uh, so far in your life. <laughs> uh, probably just, um, I have a few. <laughs> All right, so of course me deciding to be an artist and be an actor and follow my dreams and yada, yada, yada. But I think um, mainly it will probably be just, I guess growing up in the house, like I definitely pushed the limits a lot, like going out, staying out past curfew back, you know, when I was growing up. So I definitely have a, a few rebellious moments back in my, my past, just pushing my curfew way beyond the limits. And just kind of showing up whenever sometimes. <laughs> right. Do you yeah. feel like that was part of, uh, you know, you having some celebrity and, you know, kind of taking advantage of it? Or no, I just think, I think, I think it's part of being a kid. You know what I'm saying? Your friends got later curfews. You, you want to stay out as long as they do. So, you know, um, do I think growing up on TV kind of gave me a little bit of an ego, probably, <laughs> but but none, not 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 really, not really. My parents did a great job of keeping me super grounded, 
So, yeah, uh, yeah good on them. Uh, you know, uh, it can be kind of a, a, you know, treacherous road for a child actor. So uh, it's good that you had your parents in your corner. Uh, it's it's to the right way. It's funny you say that because one of the, the pieces that I'm writing and finishing up writing is actually um, a series kind of inspired loosely by my life, being a child actor and then kind of um, falling out of it. And um, that experience of getting it all back in one way or another, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it, it could definitely be uh, draining it can be a mental wearing a season it's just it's 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 heavy on a kid's mind to be in such an adult industry so i want to talk about that there's so many kids and my friends who are dealing with shit that you never believe because of a very intricate situation that we kind of grew up in we we know this new norm you know what i'm saying that people can't really understand so yeah yeah, well, you know, I'm glad to see that you're not one of those that we uh, hear th hear bad things about, you know, tabloid things like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm lucky that none of my stories made it out. There. <laughs> 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 well, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, okay. that's you know, that's a uh, crisis management right there. There yeah. we go, Milton and Warren Crawford. Just keep it in house. <laughs> exactly. Make sure it doesn't get out. Exactly. We good. We good. We good. <laughs> uh, so you know you're, you're best known for you know your role as Dookie on The Wire, but uh, what I understand before you got into acting, you were you were a singer. Yeah, I was a singer first. I mean, I found out I was an actor because I was in church um, on stage singing, and I guess with my singing, um, I was just always so passionate and like connected to like the lyrics and the music that I was really performing a lot. So people were just like, you know, you should try like musical theater where they kind of incorporate music and acting at the same time. And um, that's where it kind of got started. I started doing musical theater when I was about eight or nine. And then about four years later, that's when the wire thing happened when I was 12, 13. So, oh, wow. yeah. so walk me through you know, it, it always seems like a kind of an esoteric um, thing for, you know, somebody. I forget, I forget you're a writer. I'm like, these are great words. <laughs> <laughs> I forget you're a writer, but go ahead, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it just seems one of the, like one of those things that, you know, it's hard to imagine how you got started. Uh, can you walk me through how the whole uh, wire thing happened? I mean, obviously you decided to maybe get into acting, but what was your journey to actually even get considered for the role? I was just talking about it with my mom the other day. So it's kind of actually a fresh story on my mind. Um, I remember I was doing a play out in Olney, Maryland, um, Carousel, one of the kids, they liked me. They wanted me to come back immediately after do The Miracle Worker, the story about Helen Keller. I, of course, played Percy, the house Negro. But, uh -huh. um, <laughs> so during that time, between Carousel and The Miracle Worker, it was about like maybe a six to eight month process. And I auditioned for this character by the name of Michael Lee in this series called The Wire for this show that, you know, had been off air for a year. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't really know much about it. They had taken a break off the TV, but my brother loved the show. I was too young to watch it. 
Audition for Michael Lee. Call back for Michael Lee. Didn't hear anything for a long time. So then I got called back for Donut. So then I'm still kind of working. And then I got called back again for Michael. Still working. Then they did the screen test. And they were like, you know what? We want to try you for Dookie. We want to try for the character Dookie. So for the screen test, I did Dookie. And then about four or five days went by. I really didn't hear anything. And I remember actually rapping the play. Then like the next day, my manager called and was like, hey, can I speak to Dookie? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just those moments that it's like magic, you know, it's something you want for so long. It clicks and you feel the universe kind of lock for you, you know, and um, it's crazy how that one moment, even 15 years later, that was the moment that kind of shifted shifted everything for me personally. So, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's amazing how, you know, impactful moments like that are and how you never forget them. Uh, even when you were, you know, you were younger, so it's harder to remember things so, so far ago, but, um, you know, it had that kind of impact. It changed your life. Uh, what was the first thing you did to celebrate? Like, did you, you and your uh, family go have a dinner or like, did you go tell your friends, you know, what was your first, you know, kind of celebratory reaction? We had apple cider on ice because my manager told me to keep, keep it on ice. She's like, I think this is going to go your way. I don't know but keep the champagne on ice. So we popped the champagne, well, we popped the apple cider and drank it as a family. I do remember that. And um, I remember rehearsals and fittings and school was like the next week. So I really didn't have much time to celebrate per se. It was just like, okay, well, let's kind of pull you out of school. Let's, <laughs> that's what kind of came next. It was, it was, it was a rush. Oh, so you rush. jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> oh, for sure. But, but with all the musical theater that I had been doing, like I was so ready for it. It was just, I, I felt like, yeah, this is more like it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty oh, much. Yeah. Uh, so do you, do you feel like you figured out, you know, because you said you went through, uh, you read for Michael and for the other character. Do you feel like, uh, you figured out why they chose you for that particular role for Dookie? Of course, because um, in, in hindsight, I identified most with Dookie. I, um, I had more to pull from in my own existence for that character. And when you kind of look at all of our lives in one way or another, I think we all could say the same thing, that there was something that kind of bound us to the character. And... Um, just fate and destiny. You know, people ask me all the time, do you think you could have played that? I mean, as an actor, I can play anything, but the character wasn't meant for me. Like Michael was meant for Tristan. You watch it, it it's just in his in his speech, it's in his walk, it's in his talk. Like that those moments when like the universe just kind of locks for you, you know. I could not have played Donut, I could not have played Michael, could not have played Randy. In the very last audition, I was kind of throwing a curveball, and it, it went my way. Wow, yeah. Well, you know, obviously they made the right choice because you really, uh, you know, you killed that role. Oh, thanks. Um, Thank you. You know, did you, 
understand the weight of that character kind of going in and no absolutely not tough background that was a character that took me about four years to shed maybe four or five years to shed but i didn't really mentally get that until about two three years ago where i'm like damn like i was fucking depressed like i was depressed i was depressed just it, my mind getting in the hair, the makeup, the circumstances, the, the lines and the rehearsals. It just, I started feeling so much like that character. And I couldn't really shake it. I was too young to shake it so quick. But now I get it. I understand that, like, off the set, like, turn it off. But um, yeah, that I did not understand. I just knew how to get there as far as. The performance. I knew what I needed to do to get there, and I was giving my all. And um, we got there, but after it was over, <laughs> I needed a little help coming back to coming back to reality. And that's that's you know completely understandable. I mean, the show's been off the air since 2008, but I would even venture to say it has a you know a lot more relevance uh, now than even then. I mean, you look around uh, now; it's crazy. I'm watching the series again now. I always say for like the first time because it's like, whoa, so much you don't catch the first four times, but it's an exact depiction of what this country is going to the T. It's like right on the money, <laughs> right on the money, right? They nailed it. They nailed it. They really nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that's why that show was so highly regarded. Uh, it's almost prophetic in a way, uh, you know, predicting, you know, kind of where we are now. It's timeless. It holds all these, these, these gravitas of, you know, the drugs, the crooked politicians, crooked cops, I mean, you name it. Education, um, the media, lack thereof, honest journalism, lack thereof, you know. <sighs> it's so good. It's so good. Uh, you know, I don't know how much you are into politics, but, you know, have you seen that uh, viral political ad? Uh, I think her name was uh, Kim Klasik, where she walks down the uh, bad neighborhoods of Baltimore and kind of, quote unquote, takes you to see them, that little uh, underseen. And, you know, it's like, OK, we've seen that in the wire before, you know, uh, <laughs> it's nothing new. But like, you know, she's kind of making her pitch to be the new Republican voice. I think even Trump is, you know, um, mentioned her quite a few times, but uh, it, it, it's really striking, uh, you know, to watch her walk down those streets. You know, <clears throat> have you seen that that video? I can't say that I have, but I'm I'm, I'm pretty kind of um, I'm glad that I I guess I didn't, and um, I don't know as far as politics. It's a very interesting time. You know, um, one of the films that I'm writing about is about Africa, mainly Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, my, my heart is really heavy on that, that, that topic. You know what I'm saying? Because although we're voting for kind of like so many things we want to see here, then our brothers and sisters that are in Nigeria kind of fighting and dying for the same thing, just police brutality, the government not taking care of its own people. So um, 
you know, I think it's important to vote, as they tell us, and uh, to use your voice <laughs> to, you know, make a difference. But it, it's a very tricky time. Once again, the wire. I mean, if you when you watch the show, it like you can almost fill in the blanks and put different pictures on the faces and just see the the labyrinth of the hierarchy. And it's just like, um, it's interesting. It's just, it's, it's so systemic, you know, but I did not see the commercial. I'm trying to just keep my head in a good place as a black artist these days. <laughs> Cause it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot. I mean, I think the uh, commercial was kind of, I guess if you want to say uh, different, um, you know, I didn't like it, uh, but you know, uh, there are those that really, you know, took to it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you can fill in the blank on that one. But, uh, uh, I'm sure I can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure you know, I so, can. I mean, I really don't see her getting the votes uh, in Baltimore. Uh, she's uh, she's even an outsider. She's not even from there. But, um, you know, it's interesting to kind of think about that, um, you know, to the backdrop of The Wire, that, you know, mm. where everything took um, You know, can you take me back to like, you know, when you were on the set, uh, from what I understand, when you guys were even shooting, uh, there were actual drug busts happening uh, or, or at least happened once or twice. You know, what was that like? To Probably more than twice. I mean, I know we experienced one on set and that's just me, Tristan, Maestro, and Julito. That's just us. And I mean, extras would walk in the shots do deals in the shots like it, we we really used baltimore as a backdrop you know it was what you see was really what was there it wasn't like a sound stage we weren't in california or new york or philly we were like in the heart of baltimore philly so there was a lot of shit that went down on set sometimes and david simon wanted it to be so authentic i think he really loved it there of course there were times you know where we had to kind of shut down because of things happening in the middle of our shot, but that's what we want. We want the authenticity of uh, being in Baltimore and like that, just the, the energy in the air. Uh, you know, how, how much of a stretch was it for you uh, to have to sort of embody uh, the soul of that environment and kind of, uh, you know, the effects and, and kind of the pure, you know, downtroddenness of, you know, what, what kids have to go through at such a young age? Well, um, thankfully, um, I was raised in a lower middle class family, <clears throat> but I've always, you know, public schools. I've always had friends that weren't. I've always had friends that were wealthier than me. I've always had friends that were in a little bit more of a tougher climate or a tougher region so to speak. And um, I like to think as an actor that I um, embody a great deal of empathy and sympathy, the ability to see what people are going through and try and really put myself in their shoes. I mean, you know, it's the whole job of an actor. Um, so it, it wasn't really anything I was familiar with per se, but as I started talking to the kids in the room, and realizing that they too are my age. They too like the same music I like. I was able to really kind of instantly like get there. 
you know, and break down those 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 um, similarities to, to to connect those dots, you know. Wow. Um, you know what what I found was interesting, especially kind of in your character arc, was the juxtaposition of the other main you know character uh, Bubbles, who mm -hmm. was the known drug addict on the show, and he was venturing towards rehab and re rehabilitation. And then you find Dookie as a younger character who's going in the opposite direction. Uh, that was so heartbreaking to see the sort of the cyclical uh, struggle, um, you know, especially with uh, addiction like that, you know, what was that weight of that <coughs> ending, uh, you know, on, on his character, you know, what did that do for you? And how did you go to that place? Because that's, that's, that was a very powerful scene, uh, very tough scene to watch, actually. Um, you know, if, I got, it still stands out to me. So great job uh, as an actor on your part. But thank you. Uh, it was just a very tough thing to see, uh, even though we, you know, quote unquote, knew uh, it was fictional. If I know David Simon the way I think I know David Simon, everything happens for a reason. Everything is super strategic and very, very thought through. And um, watching the series again, I definitely see a parallel between Dookie and um, Bubbles. I think because they killed Wallace, they're like, all right, we're not gonna kill Dookie. We're not gonna rescue Dookie though. I mean, it's the wire. Uh -huh. but, what, but what we can do is show you where he might end up. And that's definitely bubbles. When he got his shit together, it, it, you just have to connect those dots and say, okay. <laughs> like, hopefully. And it was tough because the, you know, I guess the hard part about Dookie was he was an intelligent kid who, if fostered, could have been the next, you know, very successful individual. Uh, but nobody, he didn't have the opportunity, didn't have the support, uh, the follow through. Mm. And, and, you know, you lose hope in those moments, even if you have promise uh, in other ways. Um, that's what made it so such a sad uh, character because it could have went the complete opposite way if, you know, there had been some investment in him, uh, you know, as a person. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely. I mean, it's the, sh it's just, it's, it's, it's real, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it, it's so grounded in the sense that it's so real. So, you know, it's a tough ending, but that's, it's the way of the world, you know? just is. I think David Simon and Ed Burns and George Pelicanos and Nina did a great job at just staying true to the truth. From the killing of Stringer Bell to the wee baby being unlocked up and D'Angelo being murdered in jail, it's like, you know, they honored the truth of the story. What would almost really happen in the real world? So cheers to the accuracy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, how did, you know, kind of watching all of that change you as a person, 
you know, just kind of to see how just one misstep um, could change so much in somebody's life. Uh, you know, it seems like for me, I would have, I, when I take away the fact that you got to always be generous and kind to people because you don't know what they're going through. Um, you don't know what kind of, you know, effect uh, that your interaction with that person might have, you know, uh, it could keep them from the dark side. It could drive them to the dark side. You know, so there, there's so many things that just your one action interaction with a person uh, could affect. Uh, have you felt that kind of uh, since then? I mean, well, I mean, in watching the whole series again, I, I definitely feel more impacted than any other time, especially because of just the climate. And um, it's definitely had an impact on me lasting this time around. And um, like you said, kind of one thing, one, one choice can kind of shift everything. I mean, it's just really where I'm at mentally. You know, we're kind of almost like a year on lockdown somewhat. So it's just kind of like, damn. But yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, you know, I'm super, super, super impacted by watching it this time around. Maybe it's because I don't know, I don't know what I've tapped into recently, but it just, it's also transparent. I'm able to just see everything for what it is and, you know. Well, you know, I like to call this, uh, you know, obviously this is a very tough time for all of us. Um, but I like to think of it as a pause to where all of us can stop from the just blindingly fast life that we normally leave, lead where we're kind of on the freeway with no exits, uh, where now we get to kind of park, self-reflect, take in other things, uh, really see, you know, um, everything for what it is. Uh, I think that's why the whole George Floyd thing happened because, uh, well, the, the effects of it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody was forced to see it because you weren't doing anything else. You, weren't, you didn't have any other obligations, didn't have anywhere to go. You were forced to watch that, you know? Absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I think there's some benefit, you know, even though we're all just very tired of being locked down and all this other stuff, we're very exhausted. We have fatigue from it, but that can, we can come out on the other side, uh, you know, for the better if we, you know, take those steps. I don't think we have a choice at this point. I think anybody who, at this point, you're either gonna surmount or just decline from this. After all this time, if you haven't focused on yourself, like it's really a shame, you know? We've had nothing to do but to really focus on ourselves and kind of get our shit together. So I'm, I'm really hoping as a nation, we've been doing that, but you know. Well, we'll We'll be able to read the tea leaves here in a couple of weeks. So yeah, kind of what happens and what you know where people's heads were at. Um, you know, when you look back um, at your career, uh, what does it feel like to be part of a show like The Wire that still has such a impact even now today? You know, some almost twenty years later. It's it's an honor. As I was watching this, you know, sometimes I talk to myself when I watch my TV shows. But when I was watching it and I started to go into season three after the ending of season two, and I was just like, damn, this show was so good. I wish I was on it. And I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah, oh, I was. 
Wow, it, it, it's really, I'm just lucky. I thank God for that opportunity. There's nothing I, I could have done to really earn myself into that role. It was just, it was fate, it was destiny. It's a blessing to change my life. Even to this day, I'm able to walk into rooms and shift into different avenues of the entertainment industry because of that iconic moment in my life. So I'm grateful, man. You know, I'm, I'm truly honored and blessed to have been a part of a, a legit, legit masterpiece. Yeah, I, I have to agree. That's uh, it's probably in everybody's top five and, and a lot of people's top three and a lot of people's first, <laughs> first or best ever. Um, you can't beat those kind of uh, uh, accolades. Um, you know, but so what has life been like, you know, since the wire? How has your acting career kind of progressed? You know, I know you've had some uh, some great guest spots, you know, like on uh, the Get Down shows like that. You know, mm -hmm. what's your trajectory as far as an actor, and where would you like to see yourself go? Well, now I just really want to. Now I'm more passionate about telling black stories that matter. And as far as an actor, I know what I bring to the table. I know what I can do. I know my skill, all that. And I know it has been a while for some, but one thing people, I encourage a lot of people, especially aspiring actors, to remember is that acting is like a lifetime journey. And if, 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 if you're doing it right, you should only get better with time. So with that being said, the next, I won't say the next time people see me work, but, um, I would like to be putting myself in the position to tell stories that I think I should be a part of telling. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to tell stories that matter. I want to tell stories of triumph. I want to play smart characters. I want to play nuanced, layered, intricate beings. You know, real people. I want to. I want to be. I want to do something real, and um, that's why I've kind of taken a step into writing. Like very soon. I can talk a lot more about the things that are going on very soon. And I would love to circle back when I can. But um, I'm, I'm now able to do my part in storytelling and actual writing. And, you know, I, I can't wait to then tell my story with um, the series that I'm working on. And, you know, it's just one step at a time. And, do you feel like, um, you know, obviously there's been this movement in Hollywood, uh, you know, Oscar's so white, you know, things like that, where they're trying to create these spaces for black creativity. Uh, do you feel that pull um, as you, you know, begin to do your own project and like you said, tell black stories, do you feel like there are more open avenues, uh, you know, to get there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that a lot of executives are finally starting to come to their senses and understand that, um, we as black people are kind of creative sometimes and maybe deserve to have our own show you know ran by us written by us too you know maybe even directed by us so you know i definitely think they're starting to come around you know it's like hello <laughs> negroes is talented you know negroes be talented too Oh, it's almost kind of like, you know, from, you know, and I'm obviously I'm on the outside looking in, but it, it almost seemed like they've known how creative and passionate and talented 
that the African American, you know, um, creative community is. Absolutely. But they haven't had a way to market it per se. Uh, they had the misconception that, um, you know, it wouldn't be accepted. Uh, a black uh, lead character wouldn't be accepted, or their, you know, um, stories that are germane to their experience wouldn't be accepted, or wouldn't be translate to dollars or marketing and and all those other things. Uh, you know, so I feel like they've learned the fallacy of their ways with stuff like, you know, the Black Panther coming out and just blowing the doors off on, you know, completely it, black cast. Black and, and even after Black Panther, it still took them a while. After nearly $2 billion in the box office, it still took them a long time. It took them global riots to really get to this place. So, you know, I don't think it's ever been the question of whether they can make money off of it. You know, they've been making money off of it since big, since Elvis sang Big Mama Thornton's Hound Dog. You know, they knew then that they could make money off of it. I just think that um, now they have to. <laughs> now it's like, it's like, oh damn, we have to like do this or else. So I'm, I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if uh, all we have to do is have a seat at the table and then we can start welcome other people to that table. Mm -hmm. uh, our voice gets louder. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we have a lot more to say and more, you know, more ears are listening to what we're saying. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, you know, I, we, you and I connected a couple of years ago uh, when you just started to transition back into focusing on singing. Mm -hmm. uh, exercising that as well. I sure am, man. I am still working on some really great music. I'm about to drop a project within the next couple of weeks. Just waiting on some pictures back from a photographer so I can kind of like package it all up. But the music is coming out great. I'm fine. Like just my, my ability to storytell is just getting greater and greater. I, I, I know what I want to say. I know what song I want to sing. I know what movie I want to write. I know what movie I want to be in. And I think that's going to come through my music and my acting and just about anything else I put my hands to. Uh, I, I, I think that's the thing that'll be different this time around, you know, is that I, I know the gift that I have, but I know who I am finally. So 2021 is going to be a great year, man. I'm looking forward to it. So for those who haven't heard your, uh, your music, how would you sum it up? You know, what's your style? What's your, do you, do you have a box that you put yourself in? Or? Um, if I were to, I definitely call it rhythm and blues, R&B. But I definitely think it's um, R&B that's relatable and digestible by all. Relatable to all and digestible by all. It's just like, you know, I, I like the Michaels, the Janets, the Ushers, the Whitney's, you know, when you could take soul and make it translate to all. Oftentimes they'll put you, you know, in that box of adult contemporary or whatever and just say, oh, you're a black artist. But it's like, no, everybody likes R&B if you do it right. I mean, Bruno Mars will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, it, it's, it's funny that you say that because uh, they would even kind of classify him as pop at this point uh, because he's been so world worldwide accepted. But like you said, a lot of his music is very syrupy, um, you know, R&B, uh, you know, as far as melodies and everything very else. Very rich in texture. <laughs> very rich in texture. 
Uh, you know, but you know, <laughs> you feel like music has changed a lot since you know when you were a kid. Uh, you know, like you said, taking the stage and performing. Uh, you know, now you know people don't take in music or consume music the same way. They don't buy as many CDs or records or albums. They kind of cherry pick or listen on streaming platforms and things like that. Do you think it's tougher uh, to sort of find your purchase in the industry now as a singer? It's tough. I'm not going to say tougher because once upon a time, in order to go into the studio, you had to have a, like an insane amount of money. Now you can create a studio at home for a thousand dollars. So I think, you know, you got to weigh your battles, but it's a new digital era. A lot of the work ethic is being um, overcompensated by post-production tweaks and things, which is kind of up to whomever. But I miss the old school shit, but you know, that's just me. Do you see yourself as more of a, um, you like to create and kind of lay down the tracks or are you more of a performer? You like to get in front of crowds? Both. Both. Wholeheartedly both, yeah. Okay, so, so you got the whole package. You've been working on your, uh, you know, your stage show and everything else. So always travel and tour. Always next uh, year. Always, there, there'll come a moment where it will all make sense. And the worst thing I could do is not be prepared for that. So I, I'm always, you know, exercising those muscles. So do you go by? Is your stage name just you know your your name or have you? Jermaine. Just Jermaine, okay. Just Jermaine. <laughs> right. What are some of the uh, songs that fans can kind of go and going out and look to listen to now? Um, Night and Day is on iTunes. Night and Day is on iTunes. I have a lot of stuff on SoundCloud if people want to kind of get into the older stuff. But Night and Day is on iTunes. It's my single that kind of gives people a great direction into where I'm going musically. And then the rest of the tracks should be dropping before Thanksgiving, that's for sure. Before Thanksgiving, for sure. And um, it's a lot of different sounds. It's R&B, but it's, it's bright, it's fresh, it's light, but very rhythmic, um, filled with harmony. And, you know, love, it's about love. Lots of songs about love, heartbreak, love, 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 you know. Who are some of your, your, your musical inspirations? Usher, Janet, Michael. Luther, lots of Luther, Donny Hathaway, Sam Cooke, Teddy Pendergrass, um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Stevie Freaking Wonder, of course, um, Alexander O'Neill, like you know, Johnny Gill, that you know, Jamie Foxx, just like singers, singers, R&B, real singers, you know, Tank, that kind of thing. Oh well, let me help you out. I don't think I don't think you mentioned Marvin Gaye. Please tell me he's on. There. Oh, of course, Marvin Gaye, absolutely, <laughs> and, and and he's from D.C. where I'm from, so he's kind of he's he's probably in my top five. He's in my top five for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Marvin Gaye. I, Marvin's the best. Yeah, I, I think I I listen to him at least once a week. At least, at least. Um, so it's uh, it's funny how uh, he's enjoying this sort of second life. Mm -hmm. uh, David mentioned him in uh, the Captain America movie. Uh, have to. Yeah, so I, I mean, I love that. I, I love to have him uh, gain more um, respect uh, and adoration that he deserves because, uh, you know, he was one of the best. Um, so one of the best to ever do it. Uh, All the time. 
So, uh, hey, man, you know, it's been a huge pleasure uh, getting a chance to catch up with you. Thank you, man. You know, uh, I'm glad I got viewers got to see this other side of you and kind of really uh, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, outside of just being an actor, you're an all-around creator, um, singing, performing, writing now, uh, and hopefully producing and directing. Um, Very soon. We'll definitely keep an eye out for your projects. Um, will you be kind of keeping people informed via Twitter, IG? You know, what's what's always, always. I'll be tweeting, and if I got something, I'll DM you, and we'll 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 hook it out. All right, perfect. Well, I just want to make sure my fans, uh, you know, our supporters. Uh, Go out and check out your social media. Keep up with uh, all your new moves coming up. Um, you know, and to all the rebels out there, make sure you uh, you know keep in touch with his uh, with his work. And thanks for rocking out with us. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. And uh, you know, make sure that you uh, you guys uh, check in with us every week on Thursday. We drop each and every Thursday on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, wherever you like to find your uh, favorite podcast. And so for my special guests. Uh, Jermaine Crawford and myself, uh, you know, take every day to learn, grow, mm. work, because there is no other option. And until next time, please stay rebellious. Stay rebellious. I love that.